Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Now, today's topic is uh, very close to me. After being with my husband for 12 years, he was killed, and I became a widow at the young age of 32. Not only with the task of recovery for myself, but I had to raise my daughter, who was only seven years old at the time. Um, It has been a journey, and a journey and story that is shared many times by many others. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 800,000 people are widowed each year in the United States. Nearly 700,000 women lose their husbands each year and will be widows for an average of 14 years. Losing a spouse is ranked number one on the stress index scale, making this one of life's most devastating events. On average, 75% of uh, the surviving uh, spouse support base is lost following the loss of a spouse or significant other. My guest today, a widow herself, is author Mary Lee Robinson. Her, Her husband passed almost three years ago, and since then she has organized social clubs for widows and widowers, partnered to promote uh, Memorial Morning Jewelry, and written the book, The Widow or Widower Next Door. I thank Mary Lee in advance for hanging out with me and extend a big welcome her way. Mary Lee, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Anna, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to join you. Um, and I see that you you know your stuff. You've got your statistics <laughs> all right. <laughs> You know, I try to do my best and prepare for each show so I'm not walking in blind. I feel that, you know, that, that that's the least compliment I can give a, a person that's a guest on the show. If you're going to take the time to give me an hour of your time, at least I can and sit and, and figure out, uh, read through websites and get the information together so we can have a good chat today. And I so. would add only one other statistic to the ones you cited. Um, uh-huh. The average age of women to be widowed in this country, according to the 2009 census, is age 59. We're not wow. all a bunch of elderly ladies, as you well know. Oh. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I have uh, learned in my own personal journey. You know, I meet widows, widowers from all walks of life and all age brackets. And, you know, you stereotypically, you know, you, you just think that it's like, okay, you know, we're going to be close to retirement home and, and canes and wheelchairs before it happens. But sadly, you know, um, people in, in different stages of their life find themselves, you know, uh, having to deal with this. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's nice every now and then to run across a sister in, in, in the struggle with like you and, um, you know, get to talk, share about how we, we got through the process ourselves. Now, Mary, I yes, want to yes. ask you, um, share with the audience, you know, your own personal story and experience. So first of all, I want to ask you, um, your husband, how did you guys meet originally? We met a little later in life. We were in our early 50s, and okay. believe it or not, we met on Match.com. Um, awesome. We, my husband had been widowed a year and a half before we met, and I was divorced. And when you're in your 50s, it's very difficult to meet other singles. Um, you don't have school. You don't have uh, the bar scene. At least most of us don't anymore. Um <laughs> And it's it's hard to connect with other people who are single. So Match.com was a, a wonderful vehicle for both of us. And uh, it was funny. My husband was pretty shy. He was a rather retiring 
personality. Um, and we had our profiles up, and his profile showed me that he was, first of all, uh, a smoker, and secondly, he didn't have a picture up. So he wrote <laughs> to me like five times, and I ignored him. Mm-hmm. And I can I have this visual in my mind of him at his keyboard on the sixth time that he emailed me saying, "Why won't you answer me?" <laughs> and I I answered him and told him exactly why. I said, "You don't have a picture up, so I assume you're married, and I have no truck with that, and uh, I'm not interested in dating a smoker." And he said, "Well, I assure you, I'm very much available, and I will never smoke around you." And he never did. Okay. Um, but we dated for about a year and a half, two years, and then we got married, and it ended just too soon because he was the one. You know, everybody oh. has the one, um, mm-hmm. and my husband was, was the one for me, and I'm pretty sure it was the other way around as well. Mm-hmm. But um, it just so happens that today is the anniversary of three years that he's been gone. Um and if, it, if I leave your listeners with nothing else, I want them to understand that you will never forget your spouse and you will never stop mourning your spouse. But the times come more and more often when you think of your spouse and you smile. Mm-hmm. You know, Life does so, get better. It does get better, you know, and I, I you know, the point you mentioned, um, for me it's been It'll be 14 years in June. And I think like last month I was doing something, typing at the computer. Some song came on and I just found myself just like boo-hoo crying. And I was like, it's 14 years later and you still have those moments. And I think um, as a widower, widower, I think that's the part that people don't understand because they want to say after a certain period of time, like, oh, get over it already. Like, really? Come on. (laughs) Yes. And I think the big difference and people don't recognize it is that we didn't break up, mm-hmm. you know. It's it, We did not part because we were mad at each other. We didn't part because we chose to part. Um, this was kind of thrust upon us, and I'm sure it's not true in every case, but in an awful lot of cases, as mine, mm-hmm. we were very happy together. Yes. So the half of me got ripped away. Yeah. And I still feel a little incomplete without him. And for someone who didn't marry until late in life to begin with and then remarry with breaking every vow that I said that I never would, Mm -hmm. uh, it surprised me that I, having been so independent, that it really threw me for a loop to lose my husband. Um, I didn't realize how interdependent we were. Yeah, I love that word, interdependent. I use that quite often. Um, you know, besides going back a little bit, so you guys met on Match.com, and we you didn't did. really like, yeah, you didn't really like the no picture and the smoking thing. So when you guys finally met in person, what was it that you uh, liked about him? Uh, nothing to begin with. <laughs> 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 the first date was not love at first sight. Okay. Um, my husband was very retiring, very shy. Uh, I have a background in sales, so I know how to have a conversation with somebody and ask open-ended leading questions that you can't answer with just a simple yes or no. Yes. And despite that fact, on our first date, he managed to do just that. He wasn't giving (laughs) me anything, nothing. And uh, he'd been married for 25 years um, and had two 
two teenage sons. So after finishing dinner and, and trying to talk a little bit, I thought to myself, well, there's not going to be a second date because this is like pushing rope up hell, hill just to have a conversation. <laughs> he walked me to my car, and he handed me this little slip of paper, and he said, if you want to get together again, here's my number. And I just looked at him after I was in my car, and I said, you know how to get a hold of me, and I drove off. <laughs> <laughs> he called me the next night, and I figured oh. that if he was that shy – and he screwed up his courage enough to call me a second time. I'd give it another try, and the second date went much better. Good stuff, good stuff. He had to get his nerve together. <laughs> Evidently. And I think his sons probably gave him the indication that women call you all the time. Well, maybe some women do, but not this one. <laughs> you know, he'd probably been out the game for a while. He was, you know, kind exactly. of, i gotta, I got to figure this out here. So we're glad that you gave him a, a second chance. <laughs> I sure am. <laughs> and I'm assuming that he became more talkative as time went on, right? Um, yeah. When he, I discovered that when he got comfortable with people, um, you pretty much couldn't shut him up. <laughs> he, just, he was he was very talkative once he felt comfortable and at ease around you. Okay. Now, um, you guys met. You were living someplace else. I think I read that you guys retired to South Carolina. So, where were you guys before you moved to South Carolina? We lived in the same county in Maryland um, and didn't realize it, but we lived in almost the same neighborhood before we met. He lived in one development, and I lived in the adjacent development while I was married to my ex-husband, and I had moved out of that development five miles away when we met. But when I was still in the, the neighborhood close to him, I used to walk by his house when I was just out taking a walk for exercise. Had no what, idea. What a coinky day. And de- definitely. Um, <laughs> and one of the criteria for those who are familiar with online dating sites is that you can you can specify a geographical region. Well, I think mm-hmm. I barely made the cuts because I was within five miles. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how we got together. Well, cool. So you guys dated for how long before you got married? About a year and a half, about two years. We probably knew at a year and a half and started talking about marriage at that point. Um, Both of us were only children and had elderly parents, and I also have an aunt and uncle who are elderly. And we had long discussions about how we were going to manage that, looking after their care and um, all the things that come with having seniors in your family. And we wound up deciding that the best thing to do would be for my husband to retire, uh, for me to not work, and we would move to his hometown of Charleston, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And from that was kind of a jumping-off point for Maryland, West Virginia, and Kentucky, where we could care for everybody. And he worked, and I kept a suitcase packed and waited for the phone to ring. You know, your aunt has fallen. Mm-hmm. Your, your dad needs a new knee. Gotcha, gotcha. Gotcha. So it was uh, West Virginia that you guys moved to. I don't know why I had South Carolina in my mind. Well, that's where we retired to. Oh, Um, okay, okay. Once it was no longer necessary to be in West Virginia, we we wound up um, moving here to South Carolina where we had gotten married. Oh, okay. So it was kind of the, the realization of a dream that took eight years to uh, fulfill, but we got here. 
Okay. So did he do the whole get down on one knee thing, or how was the proposal? You guys just had talked about it, and this is it. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> um, this is funny. No, he did not do that, <laughs> although I was the first woman that he'd ever proposed to, or who his wife had proposed to him. Uh-huh. Um, my husband was a CPA. Okay. So rather than get down on one <laughs> knee, he took me to dinner one night before the topic had really been explored, and he had a manila folder with him that he held throughout dinner. And after we finished our entrees, he ordered coffee and dessert, which was unusual because he never did that. Mm-hmm. And he he nursed his dessert as long as he could. Then he brought, brought his folder out, and in it he had a South Carolina state income tax form. Mm-hmm. And he showed me where he'd calculated income tax um, returns both single filing separately and married filing jointly. He said, darling, we could save $3,000 a year if we got married. How romantic. <laughs> That'd be still my heart. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I managed to get through my coffee and not laugh. <laughs> I bit my tongue. Um, and I explained to him that we weren't we weren't going to South Carolina together anyway unless we were married. <laughs> but uh, I insisted that if he was serious about this and if he really meant it, then he had to ask my dad. Okay. Now, mind you, I'm 52 at this point. My dad's in his late 70s. Mm-hmm. So Richard looked at me, but he didn't say anything. And uh, we went to visit my dad, who was in the hospital having surgery, but nothing serious. Mm-hmm. And Richard asked Dad in the hospital if he could have my hand. Mm-hmm. And Dad looked at him, and Dad looked at me, and Dad <laughs> said, What's he asking me for? <laughs> <laughs> so that was how it went. Um, oh, I wanted to make sure too. that he, was, he meant it and he was, he was going to be accountable for it. Too cute. Isn't that the CPA there? Oh, we could save some money if we got <laughs> Oh, too funny. Mary Lee, we're going to take a quick commercial break right now. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed, and today's guest is Miss Mary Lee Robinson. She is the author of the book, The Widow or Widow or Next Door. And uh, before the break, she was sharing with us that uh, beautiful, romantic wedding proposal that she received from her late husband. Now, um, Mary Lee, before um, you guys had moved to South Carolina, um, how long had you guys been in South Carolina before uh, your husband passed? We had been, we moved to South Carolina and started building a home and 11 months later he was gone. We had just been in the home maybe six months, eight months. Okay. Now how, how long had you guys been married total at this time? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. Okay. So that day, um, that day, what was that day like for you? Well, it was pretty normal. Um, my husband had a, a massive cerebral hemorrhage uh, as the cause of his death. But we had a very pleasant morning, and after lunch, he picked up his pool cue and said, I'm going to go play pool, darling. I'll see you for dinner. 
And he walked out the door and looked happy, healthy, and well, and that was the last time he was in the house. Mm-hmm. I got a call around 4 p.m. from his pool buddies that he'd had a stroke. They'd called an ambulance, and uh, the ambulance was on his way. So by the time I got to where he was playing pool, he was on his way to the hospital. Um, I, obviously, I followed the ambulance to the hospital, and when... Uh, I met with the neurosurgeon who um, was down very quickly after reading his scans. He told me it really didn't look good. Um, the best that we could expect was that my husband would be a vegetable, and if I had an advanced directive, this would be the time to use it. Okay. You okay? So, yeah, I'm fine. Okay. I'm okay. Fine. Now, you know, although our, our circumstances are are different uh, for me as well. The death of my husband, it was really sudden and out the blue. And I just recall, you know, for the weeks and the, the days and the weeks um, afterwards, I kind of walked around kind of numb, just kind of in autopilot mode, uh, mode you know, just, just trying to get through. Um, for you, um, what were the days like following the death of Well, and there was so much uh, to the experience of becoming widowed that I was totally unprepared for. Believe it or not, I was actually fairly prepared to deal with the decisions I had to make for my husband. Um, I come from a family where my dad was a a combat vet, my mother's a nurse practitioner, and we were very matter-of-fact about life cycles, and and Mm -hmm. people people do die. And I'd, I'd been around elderly people in the family and lost them. So that was hard, but not probably as hard as for some people. But what I did not expect was the absolute fatigue that just hit me like a tsunami. Mm-hmm. Um, picking up a bag of groceries was about the most I could do, and that I wasn't sure I could do that mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um, and that lasted for several months. I didn't sleep well. Um, I was, like you, I was on autopilot for a long time, just functioning, but I wasn't there. I really Mm -hmm. was not hitting on all my cylinders. I also found that um, memory problems came along. There's something called widow fog that nobody told me about, but it's absolutely a thing (laughs) where you have trouble remembering things. I had trouble with dates, and I still do from time to time, keeping my dates straight, mm-hmm. different from before that death. So if I don't write it down two places, you know, I'm, I'm constantly rechecking myself. Um, but nobody prepared me for the, the just the exhaustion. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and, you know, I think another thing that I struggle with um, – you know, because I, I went through cycles, you know, sometimes I couldn't sleep and then sometimes I was extremely tired. But then after the services were over and, you know, my parents went home and everybody went, you know, um, I think the thing that I struggled with afterwards was that life went on for everybody else. But I was kind of stuck still yep. grieving, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, hold on. I, I need I need you guys to kind of be here some more. But everybody else went on they got back in their lives yeah and i think as a a widow or widower that's kind of this uh you know kind of like deep dark dark hole that we get caught in like we're still kind of sinking and trying to hold on but everybody around us is still doing their hustle and bustle 
And I, I have talked to lots of widows and widowers. I work with them and started doing so almost immediately after my husband's death. But I find that everybody seems to feel as though the people around them really don't appreciate how devastating it is and they're pressured to move on. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most ill-advised things you can say to somebody. Um, there doesn't come any real healing until you've properly grieved. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're around somebody who's lost a loved one, you kind of need to let them do their grieving and, and honor their loved one and um, adjust your expectations of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, you know, it's been 48 hours now, hon. Are you okay? Yes. <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, I mean, because you, you really don't. And, and like I said, I had no understanding of the scope. You use the word inter- interdependent, and I like to use that word um, a lot. I had no idea of the scope that I had become interdependent with my husband until after he was not there. I mean, small tasks like sleeping in the bed became a problem because, yeah. you know, you're used to this body next to you, and now you have to figure out how to get your your yin and yang together just to go to sleep. Um, you know, we had a very typical gender specific, you know, household. So I had to get used to like, okay, now it's just me to take out the trash. Now it's just me to kind of get the car to the mechanic. Now it's just, you know, so now I have to become independent. You lost half your workforce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So now I have to become independent when I was interdependent and you have to learn it quick. There's no like, can you ease me into it? You know, can you give me baby steps? You know, it's all just fast pace. And, and I think nobody, you know, and like you were saying before, everybody just come on now. Let's, and I'm no, you can't just come on now. I I need to kind of go slow with this. (laughs) Wait a minute. And you should, um, people tend to, to do a couple of things. They expect you to recover a lot faster than it really takes. Professionals will tell you that deep grief lasts anywhere from a year to two years, and that's normal. Mm-hmm. We're, in our culture, we tend to think that it should be a couple of months, and that's just not, not, that's not valid. That's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, they also will begin to should on you. I think you should sell the car. I think you should sell the house. I think you shouldn't sell the house. I think you should start dating again. What do you mean you're dating already? Um, mm-hmm. People overlay their own perceptions on top of somebody else without any real conception of what the griever's life experience is like and what their emotions are like. Yeah, you know, and then, you know, you find that people, not only are they putting their personal expectations on you, people say the strangest things to (laughs) (laughs) you know i've had people walk up to me you know i i so sympathize you know and i understand and i'm looking like you've never had anybody die in your life so how do you understand and you know and you just kind of you look at them because (laughs) the the bigger better person than you is saying like okay there this person means well so i have to smile and grin like that a lot you know, like you have to smile and grin and go, okay, uh huh, uh-huh, but really you have no clue what I'm going through here. I appreciate you trying to sympathize, but what you said just now just really sounds so idiotic to me. But, you know, it, it's, it's just really funny the, the weight of other people's ignorance that you have to sift through. <laughs> 
Well, well, my favorite was, so I know just how you feel, my dog just died. Yeah, no. I, I love no. dogs. <laughs> I've had 10 dogs. I take that to the power of 100. It's yes. just not yes, the indeed. same. Yes, indeed. But, um, and, you know, I don't, I, you know, people have passed for generations and generations. You would think that we would have a better handle on how to be more sympathetic, have more empathy um, towards, you know, widows and widowers. But we're still just as clueless as anything. Well, and um, you're a little bit younger than I am, Lana, but I think that we did used to do it a little better. Okay. The fact that um, people grieved was I remember when I was a child, it was accepted and expected, and mm-hmm. communities rallied around widows and widowers. Um, during the blizzards that just happened on the East Coast maybe three weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was getting messages on Facebook from my widows in that area. Nobody offered to help shovel. Mm. That was unheard of when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. That it, it was kind of assumed that the widow in the neighborhood was somebody you took care of. Okay. And I'd, I'm a little blown away by that. Um, and people really do step in it when they talk to somebody who's got a fresh loss. They they think they can fix it by something they say. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing that's going to fix it. Yes. Um, the best thing in the world to say is, I'm really, really sorry, or... I don't know how you feel, and then if you're a hugger, follow up with a hugger, hugger too, and just shut up. <laughs> just stop there. Just shut up. Because uh-huh. nothing you can say after that is going to make it any better. I think one of the best things, um, one of my, my husband's best friends and, and friend of the family, uh, he did for me. He's like, I have no clue what to say to you. He said, but I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to be quiet. And if you need me for anything, I'm just going to be here. And I think that was the most beautiful Perfect. thing that anybody did to me throughout that whole process is, you know, he admitted, I don't know what to do, but I know I can sit here. And I, I, I think if, you know, people kind of understood that, it would help you dealing with the grieving person a little bit more. Mary Lee, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Okay. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Like I said, I'm Lana Reed. And welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm hanging out with the author of the book, The Widow or Widower Next Door, Miss Mary Lee Robinson. And uh, before the break, we were talking about um, uh, some things that you can do to sympathize with the widow or widower. And I know for me personally, it was just having a friend who said, I don't know what to say to you at all, but I'm just going to sit here. Um, what, and, and you had mentioned earlier, Mary Lee, you know, if you just say I'm sorry and maybe give a hug, but are there some other tips or things that um, people around the widow or widower can do or to make it easier as they're going through this process? And even the stranger, because sometimes it's not just family or friends. You know, sometimes you just happen to be in the grocery store and, and some course of conversation, and, you know, you're kind of like, uh, what do I say now? Very often it's uh, <laughs> strangers who, who connect with us well. Um, I learned a lot in the days and, and weeks and years since my husband died because I got busy. Mm-hmm. I didn't find a lot of resources for widows and widowers in my area, so I made up my mind that I better generate them. Mm-hmm. And that led me to creating a social club for the area. And I met a lot of other folks who'd lost a spouse. And that led to writing 
a book that's an anthology and a collaborative effort about our experiences. Um, that led to another collaboration, and I'm working now and very proud to announce that um, the Grief Diaries series containing loss of a spouse as well as several other losses are available now. But one of the things that I learned from that is that, surprisingly enough, men can be among the best consolers and not necessarily in the way that you might think. Mm -hmm. Um, It has not been my experience alone. It's been several widows that I've talked to who found that men around them, their neighbors or relatives or coworkers, will stand on their heads doing cartwheels, doing anything to make us laugh. That's how they know to, that's the only thing they know to do is they want to put a smile on our face. Mm-hmm. And they will, they will tell us the goofiest jokes and say the silliest things. But just like the people who mean well doing other things, their intent is just to make you happier. Mm-hmm. And men don't get enough credit for that. Yes. Um, they, they console differently than the women do. But they are definitely there and concerned and want to make it better. And that's how they, they make an effort to do that. I found it charming. Most <laughs> people find it charming. Yes. Um, so that's one thing you can do. And, you know, done in the right spirit, most, most grievers recognize the intent behind it and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, a silly song or a dumb joke, something like that. It can't hurt. One of the things we need to do is come up for air every now and then. We need yes. a vacation from grieving. Mm-hmm. Laughter is healing. Yes. So, you know, it's okay to share a laugh with somebody or tell a funny story about their loved one um, that the spouse might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is, is more heartwarming than to hear stories that other people can share about your loved one from the perspective of somebody else. Um, definitely bring up your loved one's name. Mm-hmm. Talk about them. Don't pretend they never existed. That's just that's just goofball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. But mm-hmm. talk about the loved one. Um, I've had people tell me that they didn't want to bring up my husband's name because they didn't want to remind me of my loss. Like I've ever forgotten. Yes. It's always on my mind. You can't make me cry because you re- you bring up my spouse's name. Um, you might make me cry and feel isolated if you don't. And if you make me feel like I'm an oddball because I'm only one and not two anymore. Um, <laughs> include us. One of the yes. awful things that I experienced was that our new neighbors immediately shunned me. Because mm. they didn't know what to say and they didn't know what to do. So instead of um, making an effort and maybe even doing the wrong thing, they just shied away from me. And I could not have been more isolated. I had people tell me they wanted to give me my my alone time and my space. And I was in a new state, away from family, away from old friends, hadn't made a whole lot of new friends. I had all the alone time I could cope with. <laughs> Look, I need some interaction. Yeah. Yeah, I needed I needed some company. I needed somebody to to have dinner with once in a while. Um, and I uh, widows in particular. I'm not sure if it was true for your age group, Lana, but um, I was widowed at 60, and we become the lunch ladies. 
Mm. Everybody in my circle, small as it was, would invite me to lunch. Nobody invited me to dinner anymore. Mm. I I was not allowed to have a conversation with a a man, especially somebody's husband, anymore because now I'm a widow. Mm. Um, That's not a normal world. Men are part of the normal world. Yes. You know, we have uncles and brothers and cousins and dads and and husbands. Um, We're used to talking to mixed crowds. Yes. So one of the things that is really kind is to give us a sense of family life back. You know, invite us over for dinner. Include us on a holiday. Um, The first year I went through probably eight holidays and nobody thought to ask me to to come along. Hmm. Now, you know, that's that brings brutal. the point, like, yeah, that brings the point, what you mentioned earlier. And, and, and it, I do recall, you know, stories of, you know, okay, let's, uh, you know, sister, Mrs. So-and-so down the street, you know, she doesn't have anybody. Let's invite her to Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. Um, you know, and it's kind of sad when you know somebody in close proximity to you has nobody um, at no fault of their own. I mean, they're going through something to like, right. you know, not just be humane and say, hey, sit down. So I'm thinking it's February. So today is an anniversary. So next holiday would be Easter. You know, Mary Lee, would you like to come to Easter dinner? Bingo. <laughs> and that, was the, that was the reason for the name of the book. The first book, The Widower, Widower, Widower Next Door. Look next door to you. Look at your workplace. Look at church. Who's suddenly alone and Think how you could include them. Um, growing up with my family in Maryland, we were it was a small family. I was an only child, but I don't remember a whole lot of holidays where we didn't have extras at our holiday table. We had residents from the hospital where my mother worked who had just arrived. We had uh, the widower across the street. We had the divorced lady two blocks around the corner and asked them to join us, and they always made our holiday experience richer and warmer and more interesting. Yes. You know, because um, there are different stories, there are different lives. It just adds more to the atmosphere and the environment and more memories for the day. Exactly. Um, I sometimes encounter people who who object to that concept and tell me, well, I can't do that. My, my ham- family doesn't behave well. Well, all of us come from families who don't behave well all the time. <laughs> yes, okay. indeed. Yes, indeed. So. We all have uncles or cousins that we would rather like, oh, my gosh, please. Exactly. <laughs> it, yeah. It's much more important to include them. And odds are, with a guest in the midst, everybody will behave better. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. So your book, The uh, Widow or Widow Next Door, when exactly did you sit down and write that? Um, the Collaboration began just about a year after uh, Richard, my husband died. I gathered 25 people, uh, most of whom were in the widower widower social club that I started here. Some of whom were friends from back home that I knew had been widowed, and it was in question and answer form. Um, we just started with a list of questions that we thought people should know before they confronted. For their for themselves about the things we didn't expect, and uh, I've told you I didn't expect the, the fatigue, I didn't expect the shunning. Um, we talked about how our di- diets had changed, our eating habits. Uh, we talked about 
how many people had asked all of us, when are you going to take your rings off? Mm-hmm. And that came as a surprise to me. Um, I deal with a lot better now. At this point in time, I simply say, what the hell business is it of yours? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me do me. Let me do me. You do you. Okay. Yeah. And and this is where I'm talking about the contrast between my mother's generation and my generation. All of the ladies in my mother's generation still wear their rings Mm -hmm. if they chose to. If they wanted to date, they'd take them and move them to their other hand, perhaps. But it was not unusual for those ladies to wear their rings for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's a personal choice. It's nobody else's business. Yes. Now, you said this is a collection of uh, 25 widows and widowers. What, what are some of the unique experiences that you learned from collaborating on this book? Um, that no two experiences are exactly the same, but a lot of the, the sentiments are very similar. And probably the most important thing was all of us found that the experience was a lot more devastating and ran deeper than we ever expected it to do. Um, Some of the people in the group that wrote were kind of movers and shakers, people who were used to getting things accomplished and making sure the trains ran on time, and they couldn't manage this. Mm -hmm. Nobody could fast-track grief. You just have to grieve it. So um, I'm pretty sure, you know, this process of putting the book together and talking to others, you probably um, came up with some tools or tips that the widower widower could do in their process of grieving to not necessarily speed it along, but help them cope with the process. So what what is it that we as widows or widowers, widowers can do to kind of assist our healing? Well, probably the, the thing we discovered most is that... Everybody grieves in their own way, and the one thing that makes grieving worse is to worry about if you're doing it right. (laughs) You know, um, if there comes a weekend that you don't want to get out of your pajamas all weekend long and you don't have to be any place, stay in your pajamas all weekend long. Eat a a pint of ice cream if you want to. (laughs) If if that becomes a habit and you start to, you know, you have to let out the waistbands of your your <laughs> pants and if you're missing uh, engagements that you're supposed to attend on a regular basis, then it's time to reel it in and maybe get some help. But it, there's nothing wrong with saying, I just can't do this today. And you need to let your grief run its course. A lot of us started with the concept that Grieving was going to be a, a straight line process that, you know, we'd feel awful the day that our, our spouse died and little by little every day would get better. I bet you can tell me that that doesn't work very oh, well, does it? Not at all. Not at all. It is so up and down and then you think you're going along good for a week and I got this and then something just slams you right in the face and you're like, oh, I'm right back there again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it comes out of nowhere. Um the spaces get wider, and mm-hmm. the the hurt gets more shallow, but even 15 years later, 20 years later, you hear a song, you, you smell a particular scent, you recall a particular memory, and you're dissolved into tears for a moment again. Mm-hmm. 
and that's the ladies and the fellas, and it's okay. I don't think any of us would want to be the person that our spouse got over and forgot completely. Mm-hmm. All of us would want our, our surviving spouse to go on and live a full life and be happy and if they so choose, remarry and, and fall in love again and all that good stuff. But I don't think anybody wants to be completely forgotten. And not if you really all. love somebody, you're not going to. No, not at all. Um, it is, like I said, that person is a part of you. It's not like a divorce or we, no. we agreed to go our, our separate ways. Um, it, it just, that was not a choice that we made for ourselves. Mary Lee, we're going to take the last commercial break of the day. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm hanging out with Mary Lee Robinson. She is the author of the book, The Widow, Widower Next Door. And uh, before the commercial break, we were talking a little bit about, uh, I think, dating and stuff like that. And I just wanted to share some of the humorous uh, events that I've had in trying to date um, after becoming oh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I've had, I've run it, I've run it, not only do, you know, people say you should date or why are you dating or whatever, but sometimes when you try to date a man, uh, they want to, it's almost like they want you to forget about your late husband. And you have to explain to them, I'm not single by choice, by divorce, by whatever. I I would have still been happily married if life had not dealt me this deck of cards. So, um there's some things you're just going to have to take as part of the package. And I guess sometimes people want you to completely close doors before you move on. And I'm like, well, I really don't have, I can't close that door because it's not a door that I voluntarily or, you know, I didn't want it to be that way. And I think dating after becoming a widow, a widow is a very tricky thing to kind of navigate through. Yes, it is. Um, I have a sort of a, a double perspective on that, having experimented with dating as a widow, but I also married a widower. Mm-hmm. Um, at my age, it's a lot easier to find someone to date who's also experienced the same loss. Yes. So that that brings a whole new set of baggage, but it's a little easier to deal with. Um, it you wind up with uh, people who compare spouses to their new new romance and no two people are ever the same so that but that can be worked out fairly easily um it's a little tougher when you're dealing with a, a widow who's dating someone who's never been lost a spouse and they really just have no comprehension and can't mm-hmm. i certainly didn't when i met my husband and while i i like to think of myself as a pretty compassionate person he must have agreed because he married me. Um, I really didn't get it until I lost him. I had no concept of the depth of his loss. I will tell you that to his credit, in dating me, knowing that I couldn't fully understand, he never, ever made me feel like I was being compared. Okay. And he talked about his late wife Mostly when I asked. He didn't okay. volunteer a lot. Okay. So I never felt as though I was living with a ghost. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that was important. He, he let me see a little bit about who she was as I asked him about her, but he never said, well, Linda used to do the trash this way. Or, gotcha. you know, I never felt like I was, I was second best. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, like you said, no two people are different. And, you know, to find your footing in a new relationship with a new person, you have to let that person stand as their own in that relationship. So, um, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure with some people, you know, being a widow, a widow, that's a learning process because, you know, you kind of had your, your significant other ripped from you. So you have to kind of learn to let go to in a small way or a certain way so you can develop this new relationship with a new person. And, you know, that's. Like it's, nobody gives us this this handbook on how to be a widow or a widower, so you're kind of right. just throwing stuff out there sometimes. <laughs> now you have um, support groups for widows and widowers. How how did that all come about, and how do people get connected to those? Well, at, at this point in time, I only have one going in. Or I've started three in the Grand Strand area of Myrtle Beach. I would like to make them nationwide. Um, that takes resources that I'm I'm building. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've done it through meetup.com, if anyone's familiar with that. Yeah. It's a platform for making clubs and membership groups of uh, people of similar interests. Um, it's meetup.com, not hookup.com. It's not <laughs> a group. Um, it's just a way for people who've lost a spouse to meet each other and share some common experiences and mostly go out and have some fun. Um, grief counseling and grief support groups are wonderful, but there comes a time when you've moved past that and you still need some friends. Yes. So that's what, that's what the social clubs are all about. And mine are found on meetup.com. Um, like I said, I hope to, to network them through the country. I was really surprised when I lost my husband that there wasn't a widow's group of any kind here in what is a largely retiree community. Hmm. Um, every town I've ever lived in before, and I've lived in five states, had a widow's club. Hmm. But this one didn't. So I decided that there was a reason that I was finding that out. I guess I was meant to start one, and I did. <laughs> um, this one, this latest one, is just launching, and I've gotten the uh, the backing of my church to use a room for an anchor event every month, a covered dish dinner and we also go out and do other activities, um, go to botanical gardens, go see a movie, um, go antiquing. Uh, we've done baseball games, that kind of thing. Okay. And this is now you in South Carolina? Yes. Okay. Right okay. in the uh, Myrtle Beach area. Okay. Okay. So people can, uh, widows and widowers can connect with you in South Carolina and possibly participate in some of the events right. that you have. Indeed. In fact, probably the easiest way for anybody to find me, whether it's respect to the first book or the subsequent books in the Grief Diary series or the social clubs, is just to Google Mary Lee Robinson, and I'll come up all over the page. Awesome. Now, the Grief Diaries, they're out now? They came, they were released uh, New Year's Day, and okay. they're a series of uh, books, the Grief Diaries, Loss of a Spouse, Grief Diaries, Loss of a Child loss of a parent, loss of a sibling, loss by suicide. They cover um, a variety of, of monumental losses in our lives, and they are formatted very similarly to my book and set up in a question-and-answer form and have 15 to 18 participants and contrib- 
contributions to the books. But they give yet uh, they take the subject a little further and explore it. What were your experiences when you lost your loved one? What did family members do and say? Who decided to make the final arrangements? Those kinds of questions. And they explore a little more deeply the things that our society does not prepare us for. And one of my frustrations is we go through training for just about all of life's passages. We go to preschool for to get ready for school. Mm-hmm. We take driver's ed to learn to learn, get our driver's license. Um, but nobody prepares you for losing a loved one. Not at all. Not at all. So, so that's kind of what the Grief Diary series is aiming at doing. Prepare people and get those conversations started. Okay. One of the, the best things that my husband and I did was talk about a lot of this because we had the the end-of-life walk with so many of our relatives, we had an occasion to talk often about, well, what do you want me to do if you you predecease me? What do you want me to do about that? Um, would you want me to date? Would you? My husband actually has my subsequent husband picked out for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which would surprise that person's wife a lot. <laughs> very much around. But we talked about that stuff. And if nothing can prepare you for the loss, but it, many of the aspects of it would have been much worse if we had not had those conversations. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a conversation. It's like a taboo conversation. Loved ones don't want to have it with each other. We don't want to talk about life insurance. We don't want to talk about what are your wishes for your arrangements, you know, you know, in the event that you do, you know, everybody just, you know, I think the feeling is that we don't talk about it. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. And that's so (laughs) foolish. Um, You know, what do you want me to do with your rings? What do you want me to do with your your military papers. Do you want the kids to have them? What do you want me to do with your um, your trophies? Or you, you know, it it goes beyond just financial affairs. There are also sentimental things, and you need to have those conversations. It's yes, just, you do. It, it makes decisions easier that are always going to be tough and and difficult in a difficult frame of mind. If you know what if you know what your uh, deceased loved one's wishes were, then you don't have to think about it that much. Yes. You know, like I cannot stress that enough. You know, that was one of the beauties I can say that kind of kept some of my sanity was that me and my, my late husband, we did have those kinds of conversations. So when it happened, I knew exactly what was going to make him happy, even though right. he was not there. So, um, right. And that's know, what it's all about. That's what, well, Mary Lee, we are at the end of our hour here. Um, tell people where they can go to get the book real quick. Google Mary Lee Robinson, or you can find both books, the Grief Diary series or uh, the Widower, Widower Next Tour on Amazon.com. Awesome, awesome. My guest today has been Mary Lee Robinson. Please visit her website, MaryLeeRobinson.com. Thanks, Mary, for hanging out with me today. Lana, thank you so much. I was delighted. <laughs> That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't or won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week.